Please rise.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Lord God, your loving kindness always goes before us and follows after us. Summon us into your light and direct our steps in the ways of goodness that come through the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The first lesson is taken from the ninth chapter of Isaiah, beginning with the first verse. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 494. If you're using the new Lutheran Study Bibles, it's found on page 1106. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the later time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders the rod of their oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. The word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning with the 10th verse. Using the Pew Bible, that's on page 127 of the New Testament, but using the Lutheran Study Bible, that's on 1876. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Cyprus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's reading is from the gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 4, starting at verse 12. That's on page 3 of the New Testament in the Pew Bible. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the, word, or the gospel of our Lord. Grace to you, O Christ. You may be seated at this time. I invite the little Lutherans to come forward. <laughs> All right, so good to see you. We're missing Ava Marie. Oh, well. How are you all? Good. Yeah. Hey. So, how many more? So, have you celebrated your 100 days of school yet? Yeah. No. No. I'm almost gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, it's close. It's close. What are you guys going to do? Almost. What are you going to do for your 100 days of school? I'm going to wear it You're going to dress up like what? You're 100 years old. Dress up like you're 100 years old. Yes, that's what I'm doing. And we're going to make a snack mix. Everybody of does a, it. A, a chair mix of, of stuff that, of 100 of it. Oh, you're going to do 100 of things in your trail mix. Okay, Gavin, what did you say? Everybody does it. Oh, okay. How about you, Grant? Oh, wait, you, you don't have 100 days in four, in four years old, right? Do you? Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to what? Oh, really? How neat. All right. So 100 is a big number, right? I'm sure, though, you all can count up to 100 if I give you the time, right? We're not going to do it now, but... Um, okay. Okay. Well, 180 is how many days do you need to be in school, I think, right? But, so you've been in school, uh, you only have 80 more days left until summer, or summer break, I should say. So, here's the thing. If you think of 100, what's another, do you think, um, do you think there's any, do you think 100 is like a magical number that if you reach it, it's really big? Yes. Yeah? But if you don't reach 100, it's not that big? No? You know, today we're going to talk more about baptism. Yeah, so we're going to talk about baptism, and I... Yeah, you do. But let's talk about here, right? Imagine if you could baptize 100 people. How long do you think that would take? 100 days. 100 days, so one baptism a day? Okay, so just a lot, okay? But you know, I remember there's a story in the book of Acts in the Bible where this guy, he's, he preached for a long time, and he, he baptized 3,000 people. His name was Peter. Remember that story? Oh, yeah. 3,000 people, right? In, in and the, but that, that's not the biggest number. Some people think that John the Baptist, he baptized way more. How much? Going? I don't know. They don't know. And then they think Jesus. Now, today, at the end of our gospel reading, it said that Jesus went about curing and did ministry. And I just got to assume that he also baptized a whole lot of people. Numbers go on. 
Exactly. There's no end to numbers. And probably there's no ends to Jesus' ministry, especially, right? But we have no idea how many he baptized, but I'll bet you way more than what I'll ever do in my ministry, right? And, you know, I don't even think I've baptized 100 people in, um, in, since I've been ordained. So it's a big number, okay? But the challenge for us is that we not always can always baptize people, but we should always be about bringing people to Christ. So how many people do you think you could bring to Christ before you graduate from school? 1,000? That's quite an ambitious goal. Gavin, what do you think? Yeah. Okay, well, obviously a lot. So my whole point is Jesus is always asking us to think about other people, to go out and help them, whether they're sick, whether they just are in need of our friendship, companionship, or whether they need us to do something miraculous, you know, that Christ can do through us. But he's always asking us, and one of the things that we can do is tell people about him, about Jesus, okay? So baptism is a good way of telling how God loves us, right? And how much he is always there with us. Let's, so, all right, let's, let's close with a prayer that's in here, okay? There we go. Almighty God, you who reject sin and death, bring light and life to the world through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. That was short. We're, yeah, we're on a health ki- healthy kick now. Amen. <clears throat> Let us pray. Dear, dear Lord, we're so grateful that in this rather warm morning that we can be with you, be part of your family, your kingdom, as we worship and praise you. As always, we ask you to open our hearts, our minds, and our souls so that we may receive your word, your inspiration, your wisdom, so that we can continue to live a faithful life of discipleship and and partnership with your people in this kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. So, today, the gospel text is about Jesus starting his ministry. And that's always one of my favorite parts of the text because there's so much hope in this stuff. No Pharisees or Sadducees are upset with him yet, and everybody is excited to, uh, to learn about Jesus and to see him. He's, he, um, he's just starting to get famous. John the Baptist has done his magic, and so it's really neat. But you know, when you study this text, one of the most amazing things that I am struck by, both in the call stories of the disciples in Matthew and in Mark, is the immediacy of how they responded. And I'm always amazed by that. So if you turn to um, chapter 4, or just listen, chapter 4, today's gospel text, when Jesus calls um, Simon Peter and Andrew on verse 18 of chapter 4, I mean verse 20, the word is immediately that they left what they were doing and they followed Jesus. And then you follow that up with verse um, with verse um, 23, after Jesus calls the two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, they immediately left their father and their boat and went. And I've always been amazed by that because most of us, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense if we really think about it 
that these guys, this, is, these were, this was their livelihood, fishing. This was how they fed themselves and their family. And to just up and leave what they were doing, their occupation, and to follow some random guy at the time was still unknown, was quite an amazing literal leap of faith. And I, I've always been struck by the word immediately, as if they didn't even sit around and waited and thought about it. Even for a moment, they heard it, boom, they jumped in. It's an amazing text of discipleship. It's an amazing text of faith and complete trust in Jesus, these guys. And, and so think about that. I, I'm just always amazed. Today we're continuing on our, um, on our focus on, on baptism. And when, you, when, 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 we get, when we come to baptism, many of us will say that baptism is an act of, being, of entering into the family or the fold of God, it's an act of commitment to the ministry of the church and the mission of Christ. But in many ways, many people think baptism is it. I, you have no idea how many baptisms I've done where I've never seen, where I won't see the child again. You know, baptism is a one-time act and it's over. And it's tragic because baptism is only the beginning of a, a faithful life. It's not the end. It's not the middle. It's really the beginning. And it's so critical for us Christians that we... When you look at our hymnal, the, um, the image of baptism is refreshed throughout the entire uh, the hymnal, whether it's hymns or if we were to do our services correctly, um, according to the liturgy by, you know, by, the, uh, by every letter, we would start every service with the thanksgiving for baptism before we even get into the, um, the opening stuff. That for, for us Lutherans, we see baptism as the most cent one of the most very central acts that we do. Because we believe it is the beginning of our understanding of God. It's the beginning of our deep, deep relationship that we have with God. And, but we also see it as an invitation into which God invites us into a relationship with him. And so, therefore, it's not a one-off event. It is a continuous. It's the beginning of a relationship. It's like when you say, I do, at the wedding, and then you don't hang out with your spouse again. It's supposed to be. The, the, the wedding is the beginning of the relationship, right, in many ways. You continue. In, in a way, baptism is the wedding that we all have with Christ, if, that, if you will forgive my euphemism there. But... The problem is we stop it. Why baptism is important is because in it, there are all these promises that we speak of. So, you know, I invite you to open your hymnal to page 121. Okay? Actually, page 122 at the very top. Or 121 at the bottom. Confused yet? It's in those boxes, if you see, the very front, page 121. Page number 121, not the hymn. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. I know the hymnals can be very confusing. So if you look, after I do an opening prayer, then, then a sponsor or the uh, godparent presents the child for bat or the person for baptism, and then the pastor asks that person or child, do you want to be baptized? And the response should be, I do. And then right after that, either at the bottom of page 121 or at the top of page 122, 
okay, you will see that there's a list of um, responsibilities and, and, and actions that the pastor is reminding or inviting the, uh, the baptizee to be aware of. This is the covenantal part of the baptism. I would argue, other than the actual baptism itself, this is the most sacred part. This is the most important part of the entire act of baptism. Because what the pastor says is, in Christian love, you have presented these children, or in the other page, this individual, right, for baptism. And so here, the pastor is talking to the parents, or on the other page, to, to the baptizee, and the pastor says, you should therefore faithfully bring the child to receive or to the services of God, God's house, so to go, come to worship, to teach them the Lord's Prayer that's at home, the creed, either the, ten, uh, the creed, which is the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, or the ten, and the Ten Commandments. And as the child grows in years, you should place in his or her hands the Bible and provide for the instruction of the Christian faith then living in the covenant of the baptism and in communion with the church, they will lead godly lives until the day of Jesus Christ. And what, what that person, what the person, when the person says, I do, what they're saying is that they're promising to live a life of discipleship, to live a life in which they're serving God and they're learning about God and they're finding every way they can to see the revelations of God. This is the most, you know, outside the actual water being put on the head, this is the most important part. This is the part where we hear God inviting us to get into a deep relationship with God. And so therefore, at baptism, it's not that one-off event. It is the beginning, we understand it, as the beginning of that relationship with God, a deep relationship with God. And so therefore... Many people don't think it's just the entrance, but then there's another thing about baptism is that it's for the remission of sins. It's the forgiveness of sins. <coughs> and the classic understanding of being forgiven of our sins is not just have someone says, okay, our sins are forgiven. Now we can go on our way. The great image of, of what, how we should ought to remember about being forgiven of our sins is, is that prostitute that was going to get stoned. Do you remember in, Matthew, or in Luke? And Jesus goes and defends her, saves her from being stoned, and she, and, and she says, thank you. And he says, you know, you, sh you should not thank me, but thank the Lord, and you should go and not go and amend your ways and not live that lifestyle anymore. And, and, and the point of that text is that once we are forgiven our sins, we need to make a turn from the lifestyle that has gotten us away from God into the way and back into the way of God. The entire act of forgiveness of sins is, the, is in a way making a turn, making a turn from the ungodliness of our lives and into a deeper relationship with our lives. It's a huge task, but God is asking us in the forgiveness of sins, inviting us really, to reassess everything that we have and to make it so that we now have made the changes that we need so that we can walk deeper with Christ. And in the act of baptism, we are reminded of that once again, that when we die, as Paul says, when we die of our sins and are reborn a new being, in a way we have changed our life, changed our lifestyles. We are now a new being through the act of baptism. And so that water imagery where we go into our watery grave and rise into a new being, that's the act of forgiveness. But a new being is not the old being, the old 
The old Adam, as, um, as academics will say, has long died. We are the new being in Christ. And because of that, we wear new clothes. We have the armor of Christ. Everything is different. Our lifestyle is different. We are now all about being in relationship with God. So baptism kills our old self and brings us closer to God. And the covenant that we make at baptism invites us into that deeper relationship with God. And we got to remember that baptism is the beginning of that relationship that God invites us. And then it's not something, if we truly are about God, it's something that we should be excited about and would go at a heartbeat when we are invited to do so. And the thing about these disciples in today's text is that they just don't sit there. They're mending their nets. I don't think that's fun, so I'm sure I would have jumped the ship too, right? But they don't even give it a moment's thought. They didn't say, well, how are we going to pay for our meals? How are we going to survive? How are we going to pay our bills? And they left their dad. James and John, they left their dad. You don't leave your dad back then. The dad was the head of the household. If your dad says no, you don't go. But they left. They didn't even ask him. They just left him. Imagine the Thanksgiving dinner later that year, right? So the whole point is, when Christ comes calling, we ought to leave our nets immediately because Christ has called us into a new being, into a discipleship life, a life where we serve Christ, we study Christ, we learn from Christ, and we serve others because of Christ. (laughs) And then in the act of that, we discover that Being part of Christ is a relational thing. It's a continuous thing. It's not a one-off when we're eight days old or however old we are when we get baptized. It is a continuing, continuous relationship. And it is in that relationship that we turn from our old being into a new being in Christ, where the light of Christ can be seen. And when you read the Gospel of Matthew, one of the great subtexts of Matthew is the concept of light shining in the darkness. And light is always a great imagery. It is in that text that you read about the great beacon of hope upon the hill, the light upon the hill. Remember that text? And then later, in, uh, in the LBW, in the hymnal that we have, it ends with the sponsor saying, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works, which glorifies God in heaven. And so the idea is that when we become a baptized child of God, we take on the light of Christ and we shine it to the deep, dark world where people dwell in darkness and they need to see that great light. And so I invite you that as we continue this baptism understanding of this this, uh, series on baptism, that we need to somehow start to proclaim that baptism is not a one-off event, a one-time thing, but it's a continuous thing. That's one of the reasons why I love the Catholics' practice of walking into the sanctuary and dipping their hands into their holy water and reminding themselves of the cross of Christ on their head, but by putting water, they are also reminding themselves of their baptism, their intimate relationship that they have with Christ. And that's one thing I would love to incorporate in, you know, because it reminds us, it is an intentional reminder that what we are, we are claimed by Christ, and we live according to the invitation, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, and we go out into the ministry because we are called by Christ. And in that so many ways is what Christ wants us to understand with baptism. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we're so grateful that you continue to love us, that you continue to guide us, and that when we are unsure of where we stand with you, help us to remember
that we have been claimed by you through the act of baptism, and that in that claiming, you have counted us as part of your family, and that you continue to reveal yourself to us through our study, through our worship, and through our recitations of the hymns, of the gospels, of creeds and testaments. Now, Lord, give us courage, give us confidence to do the work you have called us to do, whether it's in this congregation or out in the community. Keep us ever mindful that a life in you is a life of discipleship and a life of service, and that through you we can bring the light to sometimes this very dark world, and that others may see your good works. In your name we pray. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. I believe, on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Called together through the water and the word, let us now boldly pray for the church, the world, and all who long to hear God's voice. Lord, as you call us to be more faithful individuals in you, help us to be mindful of your word in, in ways we don't even hear. Help us to hear your words in the cry of a newborn, in the laughter of our friends and strangers, in the celebrations and happiness of those that we engage at work. Help us to see and hear your word in those that cry out for relief from oppression and from all that keeps them back. Help us to hear your words and those that speak for justice, that speaks for to truth, to power, and that speaks for those who have no voice. Let those voices, Lord, give us the opportunity and give us the strength to do the work that they need us to do. Lord, let your voice, let your word give us arms and feet and lips so that we can speak your saving word, do your saving act, and to walk along those who need to hear of your saving grace. Help us, Lord, to be a companion to those that need companionships on this road that we call life. Help us to be open to all that engage us so that we can glorify you in the things we do and say. Lord, help us to reveal your word to those who seem to be most furthest from God, who may feel distant from you, especially those who are recovering from various illnesses, those who are questioning why they're suffering the way they are. But at this time, Lord, we lift up to you those who can't be with us because they're recovering from various maladies that prevents them from being with us. Especially, Lord, we lift up to you Herman, Hulda, Christine, Randy, Ed, Robert, Letha, Shirley, Joanne, Carl, Brian, and Carol. We lift them up to you knowing 
that you will continue to work with them, to heal them, to help them, and that in the time that they are healing, that you will work with them to give them a deeper understanding of your presence in their lives. Lord, we ask you to continue to speak your words through all those that affect so many people's lives, especially the leaders in Washington and Harrisburg and all the local leaders from our counties to our municipalities. Allow them to do the work that is in accordance with your will. Allow them to seek your wisdom and allow them to see ways in which they can be a source of comfort, a source of hope for the people that they serve. And remove any self-conceit, any personal desires that they may have from their offices, but give them a deeper sense of, of calling that they have from you. Lord, we lift up to you all the, all the gifts you've given us, this congregation, all those who are in it, and your entire family that is the universal church. Allow us to celebrate that every day and allow us to be faithful in serving others as others have served us. Allow us to be blessings to others as you have been a blessing to us. Lord, help us to always be mindful of your mission and allow us to proclaim, do, and act in the way that you are called, you have called us. Lord, we lift this and all the other prayers, trusting in your mercy, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together the offertory prayer. God of wonder, you formed us in our mother's womb, and from mother's earth you bring forth this bread and wine. We place them on your table, together with our lives and all that you have made. Open the heavens to us and pour out your spirit. We wait for your mercy. We long for your peace. We hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ, our banquet of life. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now let us receive God's uh, benediction. May Christ, the wisdom and power of God, and the source of our life together, keep you united in mind and purpose. The blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you 
uh, be with you always. Amen. Our close, our, go in peace, let your light shine. Thanks be to God. Our closing hymn is in the blue hymnal, number 784.